If I told you half the things I've heard about this Jabba the Hutt, you'd probably shot her. My dear Jabba. Then wait. Hello, and you are very welcome to episode 3 of Blabba the Hutt 2.0. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome and will gladly pay you the reward of 25,000. So the only thing that you can tell me is that I will find Jabba at Jabba's palace. I'm your host, Kate, and once again joined by Gary O'Toole over in Ireland. So, what is going down, Gary? Life in Ireland is good. My week in Star Wars has been a little bit crazy, so I'm finally just enjoying a, a little bit of <laughs> downtime. But uh, we've got nice weather this weekend. Europe has a bit of a, a little bit of a heat wave, which is quite nice for a change. Oh, I heard about that. The hottest in France that it's ever been in the country ever. Yeah, it was something like 46 or 47 degrees Celsius, which is That's crazy. like Phoenix temperatures. Yeah, it was really crazy. Um, there was a couple of photos of people sunbathing at the Eiffel Tower and they had, <laughs> you know, hoses on and people sitting in fountains. It was nuts. Wow, that is so bizarre. Like, I mean, it's finally getting kind of hot here in Phoenix, but that just blew my mind <laughs> that it's that hot. Because I know what it's like there, too. Like, they don't have the AC like everyone has here, so it's... And not everyone's not used to it, so it's got to be rough. It is, yeah. I, I, We haven't gotten it as bad as I think people were believing that we were going to get it. It seems to be more across the pond side of Europe seems to be suffering the the real effects of the heat and the humidity but it hasn't been too bad here it's been it's been quite mild that's good good not like Mustafar weather that's what the Star Wars app will tell me (laughs) when it's like super hot here (laughs) anyway well I mean you're used to it in Phoenix yeah we are pretty much doesn't mean we won't complain about it though (laughs) so anyway Let's just move right along. Let's get into our week in Star Wars. I know you have a lot to talk about. So, hit us. <laughs> Tell us about your week in Star Wars, Gary. What are you talking about? I didn't do that in this week. <laughs> okay, how about the week before this week? Yeah, no, my week in Star Wars has been uh, 10 days of absolute pandemonium. I had the honor and privilege of inducting Rogue One composer Michael Giacchino into the 501st Legion. Nice. So yeah, it was an experience to say the least. He was doing two shows here on the 21st and 22nd of June. So he did one show on the Friday evening where he was doing all of his various compositions. Everything from Rogue One to Spider-Man to Jurassic World to The Incredibles. And we were lucky enough to actually hear... uh, one of the newer compositions from the new Spider-Man movie. We were the first people to hear it. Wow. Yeah, so that was pretty incredible. And then the following day was a show dedicated to Lost. Nice. Very cool. So he's buddies with JJ, right? He is great buddies with JJ, yeah. (laughs) What was it like meeting him? Oh, it was incredible. I mean, he's such a nice guy and he's really down to earth. And what a varied career. You know, he... What a ve- what a varied career to have. I mean, his trajectory to get to this point has been pretty unique. I mean, he started doing compositions for video games 
which is how he he sort of got his start and obviously then he moved into movies and he's worked his way up now to you know looking after Jurassic World Rogue One Spider-Man and there are little whispers and murmurings that he may be doing the the Matt Reeves Batman oh wow now however through that is I don't know there's a lot of speculation online because when Michael was here in Ireland he posted a picture outside the museum of one of the Batman statues interesting yeah so you know to be taken with a grain of salt <laughs> yeah you never know they, they like to tease and <laughs> different things like that but yeah the Rogue One soundtrack is phenomenal and he had like such a short amount of time to do it too yes yeah, so a lot of people probably don't know it but Michael put that composition together in four and a half weeks that is so insane and it's so, so it's good. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. He did an absolutely amazing job. We could probably spend a whole episode just on the soundtrack. We could. And I think what was so incredible about it was that as a standalone OST, it was incredible. You know, it stands on its own two feet. But within each individual composition, there's just four or five notes that are an ode you know to what has come before and i think that was just mm-hmm. the icing on the cake yeah wow what was it like hearing that live well we didn't actually hear um that section live that was our cue to bring um michael out at the end we had a a little setup after the rogue one score that michael hadn't been seeing so we had a little bit of a, a little bit of a play around with the audience which which was quite nice oh gotcha that's cool. I was hoping to get some audio for the podcast, but it sounds like there was no recording available. There is um, video recorded, and I did make a speech, but we haven't gotten the video for that just yet. So I suppose we could take the audio off that at some point. Ah, okay. So maybe in the future. Yeah. Yeah, potentially down the line. But yeah, incredible experience um, getting to escort Michael Giacchino on stage in the National Concert Hall in Dublin in the presence of the RTE Symphony Orchestra which was phenomenal and I'm not sure how many are there were exactly there at the show I think the National Concert Hall holds about 900 people maybe somewhat around that That. and there were very few empty seats that we had seen at the start so (laughs) yeah just just an an incredible experience Wow I think you win the week in star wars <laughs> yeah i don't i think this one's gonna be hard to to top <laughs> exactly so what about you let's hear about your week <laughs> i want to talk about it <laughs> um so my week in star wars consists mainly of buying deeply clearanced items <laughs> Which was kind of like it was last time, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, you got a couple of bargains, didn't but, you? But, yeah, so more bargains. Because, <laughs> as our listeners probably know, they're probably fans of ThinkGeek, the awesome site where you could buy pretty much, like, anything nerdy. But they're going out of business, sadly, or technically, like, going back with their parent company, but effectively going out of business, basically. So they've been having some crazy sales to clear out their inventory and that kind of thing so i got a whole bunch of like star wars scarves like pictures for the wall 
And all of them were like only like $3 or something crazy like that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You need scarves in Arizona? <laughs> You'd be surprised because of all the super cold air-conditioned places. Like, they're not like heavy sc- winter scarves. They're just like light ones. But it gets chilly inside a ah. lot of like office buildings and things like that. So you always have to have layers even in Arizona. But um, what else was it? Oh, I think I got a R2-D2 purse and a Porg backpack. And then the other thing I was super excited for, um, the shoe company, Pozu. Um, I noticed they were having an end-of-season clearance, so I've been wanting to try out their shoes for a really long time, so this seemed like the perfect opportunity. So I, with all the clearances and everything, I got three pairs. So I'm super excited. You want to guess the pairs I got? Can you figure it out? Do you know the ones um, that they have? Oh, it's a long time since I've seen the Posey one. Um, let me guess the Ray ones? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, it's that long since I've seen them listed. Let me think. I know. I should send you the link with all the clearance ones and see if you can figure it out. Yeah, you can, you you should do actually. Hold on, okay. Well, I'm guessing it's I'm, I'm guessing it's probably droid related. One of them is. Did you get the BB-8 ones? I did not. <laughs> oh. Shocker! Plot twist. That's a that's a huge shocker. I know. Can you guess? Do you want to just keep guessing? <laughs> not BB-8. <laughs> So one droid, that's one pair. Do you know? So, right. Let me let me say. I I would imagine you got the porgs. Yes. <laughs> so you did get the porg one, okay? And you did get one that was droid related. Mhm. So it had to have been the R two ones. Yes. Yeah, the yes. the high tops. Yeah, I've the seen those. Top and did you get the porg high tops or the low cuts? The low tops. You did get the, the low porg. tops. Okay, cool. And interestingly enough, while you were talking about shoes, I actually branched outside of Star Wars for my shoes. Really? Oh, I couldn't help myself. I got to see the Harry Potter vans. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So that was a that was a surprise for me. <laughs> okay, so you one pair of shoe left. Can you guess it? Um did you get the Field of the Force ones? Nope. Are they red that you got? Nope. The ones you got, are they red? No. Okay, so you didn't go for the, the Rebel ones. Mm-mm. Okay. So you said you didn't get Ray either, right? <laughs> no, not Ray. And I, don't, I can't imagine you got the Scavenger ones. No. So did you go for the Kylo ones then? Yes! <laughs> you did go for the Kylo ones. Did you go for the the first version or the second version? Um, I don't know what the difference is. They're the high top ones? I don't know. I'll post pictures online so everyone can see them. I'll probably try to do a review or something too. Because they're really... So far, like, actually I wore the Kylo ones last night. And they're, they're really comfortable. I, I like them. So, that's my week in Star Wars buying all the Star Wars stuff on sale. <laughs> well, should we get into our main discussion for this episode? Yes, we should. Do you want to do the honors this time? Sure. Punch it, Chewie. 
Okay, so for this episode, we're going back in time to the late 90s and early 2000s. We're talking prequels, folks. Prequels. What's your initial um, like reaction when you hear prequels? I, I think we're going into very dodgy territory and we have to be careful about what we say. <laughs> That's true. I mean, it's been so divisive with Star Wars fandom ever since 1999. <laughs> but I think both of us would consider ourselves prequel fans. So we'll just get that out of the way. If you're a prequel hater, you probably want to turn away. I don't know if you'll want to listen any further. <laughs> anyway, so um, I thought maybe we could start by, uh, do you remember like a time before episode one? What were you expecting with the prequels? Well, to be honest, I was a prequel child. You know, I was born in 1988, so I was 10 when The Phantom Menace was coming out. Right. So, I think, for me, it was an unknown time, you know, not knowing what to expect. I suppose with the confusion of A New Hope being episode one but technically it's episode four because Mm -hmm. now the phantom menace was episode one we didn't really know what we were going to be getting into yeah and i think at that time you know at that at that age you know i was only a kid i i i couldn't have cared less you know it was it was star wars and that was all that mattered (laughs) but i think looking back on it now the major argument seems to have been where the prequels necessary right I would agree. And it's only now being able to look back that I would have to say, yes, they were necessary. And for one simple reason above all, I stand by that claim. And it was that at some point, the story before A New Hope was going to be told Mm -hmm. in some iteration or another. And that's why when I look back, I'm sort of glad in a way that the prequels went with the trajectory they did because it gave us a further understanding and I suppose appreciation for the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. And there's one thing that I always tell people who are just getting into Star Wars and it's that even though me being a prequel child and being heavily biased, what I always tell people is to learn from the originals, learn from the originals and then fall in love with the prequels. Mm-hmm. Or sequels. Because, I mean, matter. let's... Well, yeah, that too. But, I mean, with, with respect to the prequels, Kate, and I'm sure you'll tell me whether you would, you know, whether you would um, disagree or not. The beauty of the fandom is that we you don't have to like the prequels you know if you don't like the prequels that is okay mm-hmm. but for those who you know constantly want more constantly crave knowledge a backstory you know why was this decision made or why did this character arc go a certain way i think it was vital for that and because of the prequels even though they were far from perfect, for which, let's be honest, the original trilogy, I would say, was far from perfect. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it brought some incredible actors into our fandom. Mm-hmm. For which I think that is a hallmark of Star Wars, be it from the Lucasfilm side of things or Disney, whatever the case may be, about, that the acting choices and casting has always been incredibly strong and it's something that they take pride in. Yeah, that is true. And I think for me, that's what makes the prequels, you know, necessary. Interesting. I think um, it one thing that a lot of people had issue with, it was so different, you know, like the originals have that used look and everything was super just used and then we go from that to a shining glimmery fantasy land and I think it was like a shock for a lot of people and something I think that's really cool that's happening now with the sequels is how it's kind of like merging the two so you have like that used look but you also have a lot of really cool stuff like with Canto Bite that is reminiscent of the prequels so it's kind of a nice uh, blending of them and do you think the prequels are necessary or were necessary? Hmm. It seems like a loaded question. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, necessary. I don't know. Like, well, like you said, they would have been told in some form or another. Um, that's just the nature of Star Wars fandom, fandom in general. Um. Like, it would have, even if it hadn't been on the big screen, like, people would have written fan fiction about it or something like that, I'm sure. Um, so I think, in in general, the stories of, of the prequels are necessary just for fans. Um, whether whether they did it on, big, on the big screen like that, or what if they had gone into episode 7, like, in 1999... I always think of, like, how weird that would be. And then if we would have had, like, episodes 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and then, like, now we're getting, we would get, like, 1, episode 1, episode 2, episode 3. Like, that could have potentially worked. Um, but as it is, it just, you know, it's it's kind of like a, a marker for that time period. Um, is both in the Star Wars universe and in our universe, um, you know, with movie and filmmaking and that kind of thing. So they did a lot of really cool things um, that had never been done before, which was really cool. Um, But yeah, to answer your question, did I answer your question? (laughs) No, you didn't. (laughs) I'm like going around in circles, kind of. But like... I think I kind of did though, but like as the stories, like we, we crave them as fans, like, especially like origin stories and background stories. So I think, I think that is necessary. Does that suffice for an answer? Yeah, I think it does. You know, everyone has their, um, their own opinion of the prequels. And I suppose the, the trajectory of how it should have been done or, I suppose, what they would have liked to have been done. But I think maybe one thing that we can agree on, Kate, was the order of merit for the prequels. Maybe you'll disagree with me, but I think they work in reverse. 
I think Revenge of the Sith was the str- was the strongest of the three. Oh, definitely. Followed closely, well, followed by the Phantom Menace. Yes, I agree. <laughs> and then if we can just avoid, and then if we can just avoid talking about Attack of the Clones, that <laughs> we would be are marvelous. exactly on the same page with that, buddy. Move, move, move along. Move, <laughs> move along. along. That move was along. that. Move I always along. laugh because um, when when Episode Seven came out and. Me and my brother did that massive Star Wars marathon at the theater. Uh, the time, the timing was everybody basically just slept during Attack of the Clones because it was like two thirty in the morning, and everyone's like, "Okay, we'll just sleep during that part then." <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but I think to kind of bring back bring back uh, a point of. I suppose putting into context the popularity that the prequels have delved into now, one particular point of interest, I think, for all of us was the relationship between Qui-Gon and yes. Obi. And I think that always resonated with fans. And for those of you who may not have read it, if you haven't read Master and Apprentice, written by Claudia Gray, read it. That was really, really good. We need to talk about that one at some point, too. Yeah, I think maybe for maybe our next show we can slot in a, a full time segment for uh, Master and Apprentice. Yeah, I'm down with that. But absolutely, I do think that for me, Kay personally resonates, and it it sums up the the need and I suppose the the want across the fandom for more storytelling within mm-hmm. that era, especially regards Qui Gon and Obi Wan. And I think Master and Apprentice delivered on that and it showed that there is a definite avenue for that timeline to be further open up and explored. Yes, very much. I think we'll get be getting more and more pre-episode one content as we go forward. I, cer- I certainly hope so. Okay, so with it being 19... Or 1999... Since it's 2019 uh, and we're at the 20th anniversary of The Phantom Menace, should we talk a little more in depth about The Phantom Menace? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was the the beginning of it all, I suppose. Not in a not in a literal sense, but a, from a, a canon point of view, I suppose. So, it gets a lot of negativity, but let's talk about maybe some of our favorite things from uh, episode one. My favorite things are always like the the unknown facts, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that went on behind the scenes. That was, uh, those are always things that for me just blow my mind. But I think, in terms of episode one, you know, it was at one point one of the most anticipated movies in history. Yeah, I mean, I remember the build up, and that's crazy. Yeah, and. W- wasn't there an article or something written somewhere that people were going to the cinema? They had an increase of 75% of people going to the cinema. And once the Phantom Menace trailer was over, people left. Oh, yeah, that's true. Wasn't it Meet Joe Black? It was something a lot. Yeah, it was something like that. But I think it was a 75% increase in people going to the cinema. And then once the the trailer had finished, people left. Yeah, I remember too with when I went opening night, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen. I'd never seen the theater that full, and I'd never been surrounded by so many like-minded Star Wars fans. So it was quite the experience. 
It really was. I think some of my favorite things, it definitely has like some of the most beautiful and magnificent costumes of the entire Star Wars movies, as far as I'm concerned. Like Amidala's gowns are works of art. They're so beautiful. Beautiful costumes, but also to follow on from that, Kay, the costume designers actually wanted the costumes to reflect um, the planets. Oh, that's cool. So, you know, the sandy colours featured... The sandy colours of the robes featured for Tatooine and a lot of green and gold for uh, Naboo. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, so the costumes, you know, there was that much minute intricate detail in it. But yeah, as you said, the the costumes were fabulous. I mean, Amidala's, um, you know, red dress. Yes. Classic. Very, very, very much so. So cool. Um, so another thing I really, really like, um, especially episode one, but really all the prequels, obviously we know John Williams is a genius, but those ones are just, especially like episode one and Duel of the Fates is so special. It just got, um, it's something like we hadn't really heard in Star Wars before. So it, it just really kind of brought another element and it was really cool. John Williams tells his own story within the Star Wars universe. That's the way I look at it. Absolutely. It's incredible. And I think one thing that strikes me, Kate, is, and it's quite poignant, and whether it was by design or pure luck, I don't know, but the very, very, very first scene in The Phantom Menace features two of the most iconic characters... Not the very, very first scene in the film, but the actual first scene that was filmed. Do you know what it was? Was it with R2 and 3PO? No. Oh. I don't know. It was the conversation on the balcony in Coruscant between Maul and Sidious. Oh. That's that's a good trivia bit. It is, yeah. There's, there was, there's so, been so many interesting facts done... Um, for the Phantom Menace. But yeah, the very, very first scene filmed was the conversation between Maul and Palps on the balcony. And So when he's like, at last, we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. Yes. Uh, that one? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And of course, that, that being the for, very first scene filmed, you know, in a way, it does give us a look at the Phantom Menace, the man under the, under the hood. So that was actually one of the questions that kind of goes nicely. Um, who is the Phantom Menace, do you think? You think it was Sidious? Um, predominantly, yes. I think that is the, you know, he is the overall power. He is the Phantom in the background. But then, just to be picky, do you separate Do you separate Darth Sidious and Chancellor Palpatine? Hmm... And if that's the case, then it's Chancellor Palpatine is the Phantom Menace. Interesting. What about Anakin? Well, I mean, he isn't such a menace, you know, being a child, is he really? But that's the Phantom part. Maybe it's because he's, like, hidden? Well, potentially. Well, yeah, potentially. <laughs> but where does the menace bit come from? What he turn- What he will turn into. Well, yeah, there is that way, you know, showing us perhaps what was to... Like he's going to kill younglings? That's pretty menacing. Oh yeah, well that's yeah, that, that's pretty menacing. All right, I'd I'd agree with you there. Did I just invent a new word, menacing? 
Yes. <laughs> it's another one of your K-isms. I know. I'll have to start a dictionary. Uh-huh. But yeah, like, that's kind of the cool thing about Star Wars titles is they're ambiguous enough where they can usually talk about or refer to more than one thing. Mm-hmm. So, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Can I talk about my favorite thing in Phantom Menace? Mm, okay. <laughs> Well, it's pretty much my favourite thing of the entire prequels, and it's one of my favourite things in Star Wars. Okay, go for it. Plo Koon, of course. <laughs> of course, you are named after him. Absolutely. What do you like about that character? I think it was the mystery of his species, you know, being a, a Keldor, and his look was quite unique. And I love the fact that we never heard anything really from him, you know, particularly in the the Jedi Council chamber scenes where he would just sit in his chair with his, you know, fingers clasped and he would observe. Mm -hmm. And it always brings me back to a a fantastic uh, quote that was always um, said to me in school when we were doing you know, life lessons and stuff, it was something along the lines of, you know, never listen to what people say, watch how they behave. Mm. You know, that body language never lies. And I think that was the, the huge fascination with him was that he always listened, he never spoke. Mm. Just be a quiet observer. Absolutely. And then as... You know, the stories progressed and more knowledge came out. He had so many cool friggin' story arcs and powers mm -hmm. and things like that. I mean... He's the one that found Ahsoka, right? Yeah, he discovered Ahsoka. He was on a, a clandestine mission and discovered Ahsoka. But also, there are those who say he was a better pilot than a certain young Skywalker. Mm, what do you think about that? Well... <laughs> It's possible. <laughs> you know, I mean, Anakin Anakin had a natural gift for flying, but is there the case of, was he so strong in the Force that, you know, that enhanced his abilities? Mm. Whereas maybe Plo Koon was seeing as being a more natural pilot because his talents more so lay elsewhere with battle strategy and lightsaber combat. And also that we're probably moving out of canon territory here, Kate, but... He used some uh, some force abilities that were more so frowned upon by the Jedi Council due to their uh, their dark sidedness. See, I just made up a word. We're gonna start the blob of dictionary, but I haven't uh, heard about that. Can you tell me more about that? About which his uh, for for his force power. What powers he used? Yeah. Yeah. So. Plo Koon could actually use a power called Electric Judgment mm. or Emerald Lightning and it is more so seen in Legends now and Plo Koon could use it and outside of canon Luke was able to do it as well. What does that mean? Like Electric Judgments? That's predominantly what, what it was called. It was known as Emerald Lightning. And it oh, was it's essentially the same thing. I thought you yeah, were talking about two different things. No, 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 no. It's It was the same name for something, and it was that essentially 
it, it's a power, I suppose, outside of the scope of normal Jedi, but it wouldn't be classed as full force lightning, similar to what Sidious would use. Is it green? Uh, yeah, it can show up green. Yeah, it's in pictures it's usually portrayed as being yellow or green instead of like, you know, the way Sidious is was kind of whitey, bluish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, that is cool. It's just always something interesting that, you know, he had the ability to, to hmm. control that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That he could, I suppose, walk the line between light and dark in that way, huh. I suppose. Would you say he's a grey Jedi? But again, it is Legends. <laughs> Absolutely not. We know we know who the typical grey Jedi is. Who? Oh, Qui-Gon. Oh, okay. He is the closest thing we had to a grey Jedi without question. You don't agree? I don't know. I don't know that much about grey Jedis. Jedi. The plural of Jedi is Jedi, right? <laughs> yes, correct. Jedis. But yeah, that's... Add that to our list of topics for just future discussion. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, also add Darth Maul. Well, I think a certain... If you're keeping a list. Yeah, I think a certain Mr. Blabba would be very, very happy with that, the mention of that name. Anyway, what were we talking about? <laughs> so our kind of favorite things with the uh, the prequels, in particular the Phantom Menace. Oh yeah. What about the the sets, Kate? There were some incredible sets and locations used throughout the prequels. Oh yeah, like, uh, what are some of your favorites? Um, particularly for me, um, Castera Palace in Italy. Mm, beautiful. Absolutely incredible, and you know that uh, that iconic shot of the the staircase in Castera Palace was used for um Theed. Very pretty stuff. Naboo was was interesting. Um, I remember the Oda Gunga, like that was just so like crazy. Like that, had you ever seen anything like that before? I hadn't. For which for Ota, the underwater city of the Gungans. Oh, the Gungans. Yeah. You mean like the actual um the actual kind of setup itself? Yeah, the city. How it's just like the lights under the water, and then they go through the little force field things, and I just remember being like amazed by that. Oh, it was fantastic. I can't believe we made it this far in this discussion without bringing up a certain Gungan. We we can't because I'll cry. <laughs> yeah, let's make Gary cry. Always... Why, because of he, he... his interlude in uh, Aftermath? Yes, Jar Jar was redeemed. That is all we need to say. That beautiful, beautiful creature. <laughs> Aww. Misa... No thinking you like in the outside. Yeah, but I mean I think we have okay. I think we have to be honest, Kate. What a what a beautiful ending for Jar Jar. That that Chuck Wendig, props to you, man. Good job on the Jar Jar. But I mean it was something that I never expected and I'll be honest, when I read it I was just like, Wow. That was good. And I mean, if you think about it, Kate, for, for those who are 
not aware of it, Kate, do you want to tell anybody who hasn't read the Aftermath trilogy what Jar Jar actually spent his time doing? Okay, so if you're not familiar with Chuck Wendig's Aftermath, um, it was the third one, right? I forget the titles. Anyway, um, he did like these little interludes that just were like kind of different stories and things like that. So there was one with Jar Jar Binks taking place. Uh, when was the time? I want to say it was it was after like episode three, right? He goes back to Naboo because it's after Amadala, Amadala, her funeral, I think. Or was it closer to episode four? I forget the exact date. I think it was, wasn't it like ten years after the um, the Naboo crisis. Probably, probably yeah. But anyway, so he had been blamed for a lot of stuff, and it he basically went back to Naboo, um, and he he lived out his life as a street performer for like these little orphan kids, yeah. and it was just so sweet. <laughs> he was like a clown, kind of. He was like, he would juggle and all kinds of stuff. But it was just sweet because there was like this one little kid he had a special connection with. And it was like the sweetest thing like you would never expect like with Jar Jar because he was like so goofy and then just had this nice ending. Yeah, and I mean, after Matt's end was really nice in the literal sense of that. You know, I mean, his own people abandoned him. And he wanders the street, and he wanders the streets of Naboo. Yeah, the Gungans rejected him, and like the humans, probably too. Um, they basically blamed him for all this stuff that happened in the Senate and all that, because because he was kind of responsible. Well, I mean, he he did have the the primary responsibility of granting those powers to Chancellor Palpatine. But yeah, anyway, what were you saying? I just said it, it. It was. It was such an ending that that particularly caught me off guard. Yeah. And then you know when you think back of the character that Jar Jar was, and he did have a very good heart. It's not surprising that you know he would put his own feelings aside and his own happiness, you know, for for others. Yeah. I mean, I thought I thought it was beautiful personally. Mm-hmm. I, I the really Jar Jar sp- spends spends his time cheering up orphans, which is beautiful. You know, despite him being rejected by his own people, he just still continues to to see good in others. And for me, that was marvelous. But the one thing it did do for me was it put an end to those damn dark Jar Jar memes <laughs> that used to I drive know, that me crazy. People think that's so hilarious <laughs> for some reason. Dark side was Jar Jar really the Phantom Menace? Anyway, but yeah. No, he wasn't. No, let's end this. No. Once and for all, you heard it here, folks. Jar 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 is no more. <laughs> Moving along, um, should we talk about the rest of the prequels a little bit as well? Yeah, we can do. Okay, so let's just go in order then. We talked a little bit about episode two. Um, how did episode two exceed or not exceed your expectations? Oh, where do I even start with Attack of the Clones? <laughs> you know, um, f- 
first of all, it was a case of I do believe it was the weakest of the trilogy. Mm-hmm. I think probably of all the Star Wars movies that have come out so far. Yeah, I would, I, I would certainly agree with that. But also, um, you know, I think it was just mistake ridden throughout. I know there used to be a forum of Star Wars fans that was going around. You know, when kind of forums were really, really big at that time. You know, like the chat rooms and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And somebody did like a PDF where they discovered seventy five mistakes alone in the sc- in the actual movie itself. Oh wow, that's crazy. Yes, yeah, se- seventy five mistakes. Yeah, that's like the number of the show seventy five. You said that earlier. Yeah. Mhm. <laughs> but yeah, my th- my thing with um, Attack of the Clones is it's just so clunky and. Hard, the plot is goes all over the place and it's kind of hard to follow. Could we maybe say too drawn out? Yeah, that too. Yeah, that's true. If they had just kind of condensed it a little, it probably would have worked more. But there's so many storylines that's going here and there and blah blah blah. Yeah. Yeah, it seemed to it seemed to be you know all over the place. And personally, I don't think the acting was the best in that i would agree with that very uh mannequin mannequin anakin (laughs) yeah but then you know to to play devil's advocate george didn't george at one point always say himself he's not the he wasn't the best script writer um probably wasn't there something i think that you know that he was maybe a better director or something like that i think i think he's had like script doctors and stuff helping him a lot with the other movies maybe he didn't do that so much with this one i think there was a script writer used to um used with attack of the clones i'm nearly certain there was oh i don't know so sort of the the main things that uh, it's that I'm trying to say, I'm trying to remember there was an article done maybe back in somewhere like 2015, 2016, and it was by, I think it was a Paul Short. I can't, you know, fully remember what it was. It was in 2016. I'm somebody, or sure if somebody Googles Attack of the Clone and Author Short, they will find it. But he put together about five or six major mistakes with the 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 movie itself and hmm. the one biggest thing that came across was lack of a central character which I completely agree mm. with yeah that would be one that you would agree with as well mm-hmm. we are on the another same page, one buddy. yeah definitely <laughs> it's just it, it it was very definitely. it was very very well done and it was quite to the point and just I can always remember a couple of them and he also talked about. Um, a lack of emotional engagement from the fans to anyone in the movie, which I would also agree mm-hmm. with. Mhm. Would that be something you would? Yeah. Contend with as well. You you would agree. Yes. And then the one that really sticks out for me, and again, you may disagree, Kate, was that the character development was terrible. No, I would agree. But also, the dialogue was lacking. Yeah, kind of going back to the mannequin-anakin thing. (laughs) 
or would I maybe say good, I suppose, good quality dialogue? Yeah. I hate sand. Oh, yeah. Actually, that brings me on to a good one. Um, A friend of mine, Paul, he used to say about Attack of the Clones, he called it uh, the filler film, that it was just full of unnecessary scenes. Unnecessary sand? And that. (laughs) Unnecessary scenes. (laughs) I hate scenes. They're rough and irritating and they get everywhere. But, I mean, with respect to that then... Um, I think it was something that the the author that I was previously mentioning said somebody short. Um, the the simplest way that he summed it up was was if you took out the love interest or the sort of a, a love story, which I suppose was the, could we say maybe it was the the kind of central arc of the film supposedly, if you were to take that out, I don't think that film changes in any way. <laughs> Well, you wouldn't have that awesome picnic scene. Oh, yeah, marvellous. With one of the most beautiful dresses in the whole trilogy. Yeah, but I mean, overall, like, to the quality of the film, does it make any bit of difference? Right, I see I see what you mean with that, because really there was, I mean, with, with a romantic interest, there should be some kind of emotional connection, which you just did not really get with those two. So, yeah, I know what you mean. And that goes back, and that goes back then again to what we're saying, Kate. About there was no emotional attachment from the the audience. Exactly. And I mean, again, the the thing that I hope people realize is that you know I don't hate the prequels. Right. This is not yeah, you know us prequel bashing it. This is not us prequel bashing in any way. It's just you know. I would even consider us like pro prequel. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that doesn't, like you were saying, that doesn't mean you can't have criticisms. I think that's the whole thing with Star Wars fandom. Just because you say you're a Star Wars fan does not mean you have to love everything. It doesn't mean you have to be extremely critical of everything. You can love something. You can be critical of something. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, which is which is is the beauty of our fandom. But I think overall... Uh, Attack of the Clones, the, the weakest of them all, without question. I agree 100%. Okay, should, should we move on to episode 3? Oh, yes. Alright, so how do you think episode 3 ha- improved? Then, you, If you think episode 3 is the most or the strongest and, and then it jumps to episode 1, what did it do different? Episode 3 is will always be my movie. That was my Star Wars. That was, I think, the movie where everything all of a sudden just seemed to click together. Although, again, nowhere near perfect, might we add. Mm -hmm. But just, it brought together, I suppose, everything that we want us. It gave us a rivalry. And it hit Mm -hmm. all the emotional tones that were required to be hit. Yeah. Um, the acting, I think, stepped up a lot, as did the script and the effects. I mean, those scenes on Mustafar were sensational. Oh, yeah. They were absolutely sensational. And I think the one big, big thing that always sticks out to me, and I know it it, it was nowhere near, uh, I suppose, uh, a major plot line in the bigger scheme of things, but for Lucas and everybody involved... 
to have the guts to have Anakin do this complete 180 and just decimate the younglings and the Jedi Order. That really brought home a darker tonality which is what the movie should have been. And I think for me that delivered and it really did set the tone then for what was to come and it, it followed that trajectory along beautifully. So yeah, I was kind of thinking along those lines too. I think one thing that made it so much stronger was the darkness. It just, overall, compared to episode one and episode two, it just has such a much darker feel and I think that was perfect. Isn't it a wonderful thing when a character who is supposed to be the symbol of good, of hope in the fight against light and dark, that when he turned, each and every one of us was rooting for him to become as dark and twisted as possible. <laughs> what does that say about us? That that car- <laughs> Yeah, but for me, for me, that's incredible. When a character does a complete and total 180, we, we knew he always had darkness in him. We, we had known that. But for when it happened, and yet you still wanted him to do it like i i I think i think that's brilliant so you know how we were talking about how attack of the clones would have done well being edited and maybe shortened i've heard uh some people say with episode three like it could have like what if that had been the basis for the entire Mm -hmm. prequel trilogy was like episode three cut up into three episodes i think that could have been really interesting there was certainly enough direction that you could go in for sure. And I think I th- and I think I know what you're on about because it wasn't that um sort of the the main path for if we were going to get Vader's castle. Oh, that see it could have really been expanded upon. Yes, I th- I I think that's what you're referring to. I have seen some of those echoes that if it was split into the three, that's where we would have gotten the the real look at a Fader's castle and life on, uh, Mustafar. That could have been so cool, and like it could have started the same way, um, and you just kind of get that camaraderie with Anakin and Obi Wan, and then like the progression, and it who knows what could have been, but. Anyway. I still love Revenge of the Sith, though. Oh, yeah. Me too. Good stuff. And plus, Kate, I suppose, it's really hard to find a good villain and Ian McDermott just blows it out of the water. Yeah. But I don't know if there's a better one. I mean, when you talk about bad guys, he's pretty bad. Yeah, and... I think the way we look at a Kate is, let's be honest, he is a bad guy in the literal sense. Whatever you think of Anakin or separate him with Vader, you know, there was a chance for him to be redeemed, whereas Palps, there wasn't a smattering mm-hmm. of hope, at least in my eyes. Yeah. So do you think uh, we'll see more of Palps? If we do... I wouldn't mind it. The only thing is, though, I think we having a lot of odds to what has come before could be a bad thing, for the simple reason Kylo's most famous line, you know, let the pa- you know, let the past die. In TLJ, what I was crying out for and what I was hoping was going to happen, that 
Ren finally just snaps and just wipes out everyone and everything. Like I I wanted if if Ren wasn't going to be redeemed in Last Jedi, I wanted I wanted Ren to kill Leia. Mm. I wanted, you know, to finally have him go beyond that arc. Yeah. But let's but let's be honest if we look at it from this point of view, Kylo Ren slash Ben Solo is more redeemable than Anakin Skywalker. How so? He hasn't he hasn't done anywhere near the level of horrors that Anakin did. Except killing his dad. Yeah. He's he's kind of a wannabe too. He's just he's trying to live up to Vader. Yeah, but then you know, is is it a case that he's wanting to live up to Vader or is he just so afraid that what happened to Anakin will happen to him? Mm. But again, how would how would we how would we relate Palpatine back to this though, you know? I don't know. I feel like maybe there it's just misdirection that laugh at the end of the trailer. Flashbacks, maybe? Force visions? Could possibly. Or there was, like, the um, the the robot thing with his face. What was in one of the comics? Something oh, no, you're, think, like you're thinking of in Inferno. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the me- in Inferno Squad, the messenger. Yeah, that thing. There now. All right. Well, we're, we should probably start to wrap things up. Okay, so any final thoughts on the prequels? Enjoy the prequels, feel that they're necessary, and I don't think they deserve anywhere near the amount of flack that they get, but I can understand why they get it. Awesome. So, yeah, like I said, or they are what they are. <laughs> we can change them, let's put it that way. Yeah, just... Yeah, that's so true. Unless they did remakes. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, that's a whole nother topic. Anyway, um... Yeah, I mean, they are what they are, so just enjoy them and have fun. So, long live the prequels. Cut the shot, all right, too. All right, so that's another episode for the books. <laughs> yeah, what do we have on the slate, Gary? I almost called you Jar Jar. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, we're going to have lots of exciting things coming up. We're going to have a discussion on Master and Apprentice at some point, which I think we really need to do, Kate. Mm-hmm. At some point, we will also talk Alphabet Squadron, and I'm hoping to be able to get a couple of guests on the show as well for a couple of segments. Yeah, sweet. I know we need to start getting some um, interviews and things like that. So if you have any requests or ideas drop us a line on social media who you'd like to hear i know um spin our buddy he had uh, tweeted about juna junas <laughs> jonas how do you say his name chewbacca juna suotamo junas yeah um so that would be pretty cool i think that might be kind of a long shot i feel like the episode nine cast is probably on pretty tight schedules and things like that but oh do we have any shout outs for this week other than Sven. Shout out to Michael Giacchino for being an amazing human being and a ridiculously talented dude. Okay, so I want to give a shout out to Jeff Porgbach. Um, he's at Lazy Wampa on Twitter. He's been very supportive for Blaba 2.0 and 
He did that nice tweet, some of the other new podcasts out there. And then you can also check out his podcast, The Blue Melt Cafe. So thanks for the support, Jeff. Fantastic. Thank you, Jeff. So yeah, that's kind of fun. Maybe we can try to pick out certain shout outs every week. Be sure to, if you're so inclined, check out the Anchor voice message feature. You can send us an actual voice message that we could use for a shout out, which would be super cool. So, and as always, you can send us an email at blahblahthehut at gmail.com or on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Sweet. Or you can follow us. Uh, My at is at Kamadu. K-A-M-I-D-U-U. And Gary, what's your at? I can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, aplocool, P-L-O underscore K-O-O-L. Do we have a clever sign-off message for this episode? Oh, mooey, mooey. (laughs) There's always a bigger fish. Unlimited power. How wooed? How about I have the power, unlimited power? Oh no, I know. No, I know. Always two there are. No more, no less. A master and an apprentice. Until next time.